Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond and on today's episode, farm advisors Tiffany, George and Robert discuss the proposed closure of the Forfar Mart, the potential consequences of this and the need for robust infrastructure in the wider farming sector. On today's episode, we're also joined by Nikki Yoxall, Head of Research at Pasture for Life. PhD student at CCRI and grazier and unconventional farmer. Nikki joins us to tell us more about Pasture for Life and discusses what the future of livestock grazing may look like. Let's go now and join George, Robert and Tiffany to find out what's happening with the Forfer Mart. Hi guys, Robert, it's good to have you back this week. How was the lambing? Yeah, lambing, calving was all all good um obviously a few calamities here and there but no it was, it was nice to be off back at the coal face and uh yep certainly plenty of yous and lambs running about and a wee bite of grass coming now which is a positive too so yep all good and glad to be back to the real job as well the the proper fee earning job so uh, back to ajax back to nose to the grindstone yeah how's things at your end there's definitely plenty to do. The grass is a bit slow coming. George, have you noticed the crops being a bit slow? Yeah, winter crops are slow and getting going. Um, although you're starting to see the odd uh, field of oilseed rape flowering um, and spring barley's starting to get sown now. So people are, people are happier um, getting going. Yeah, definitely getting going. The spring barley through the ground here in the borders. Um, so spring has definitely sprung, or at least it feels like that. Um, have you seen in the news that the 4th of March has been proposed to close? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's another local mart, I suppose. It's um, potentially going by the wayside, um, the Angus area. I suppose everybody thinks uh, Angus really has been an arable area, but uh, once you go west of the ninety, you're into the hills and glens, and uh, there is quite a lot of livestock there after all. So, yeah, for that local farming community, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a a sad time, I would have thought. It's one of those things. It's a you know, it's the end of an era, but it probably it just highlights where we're at as an industry. Really, you know, there's there's less stock. There still is a lot of stock in Angus, but there is less livestock, less sucker cows. You know, the the direction of travel has been downward, and you you certainly look at the the business decisions that need to be made for for big auction companies and things. And uh, we're still luckily we're we're well serviced by many auction marts across the country. We've got a, a nice traditional market system, and and I I actually think the loss of forfer market will be a bigger oh, it's a bigger loss to the local community more than it is to the, the agricultural community you know i think certainly farmers will have plenty there's, there's plenty of other places that we, they can shift cattle and sheep whereas forfer was a or is a traditional market town and, and one of very few that still has the market in the in the center of the town so it's a again it's the it's the end of an era for forfer but i can totally see why why we're where we're at and, and as farmers we'll, we'll be fine we'll get through it i think it is difficult when livestock numbers are decreasing there seems to be a decrease throughout the country over the last year but with the falling numbers it's very unlikely that we're going to get back any of these losses 
um, once once everything contracts to fit the lower stock numbers, it'll be very difficult to increase stocking numbers again. Yeah, um, I think that's a danger. I think we've seen that maybe in the pig sector recently that sow numbers in the UK have dropped by about 15%, and obviously that knocks on in the number of finishing pigs that comes through. There's been a couple of plants closed, and some plants have gone into four-day weeks. So effectively, the infrastructure around it seems to shrink to fit. Uh, and it's very difficult for that to bounce back again. It's um, so it's uh, yeah, it is uh, you know keeping a scale, and uh, that's yeah, it's a we need this uh, critical mass really a livestock to to keep things going. I think it's also really important to note as well what's happened here. It's not we haven't lost an auction company. You know, no one's gone bust. Nothing. We've not. Um, you know, Laurie and Simonton are a a strong business who will still be active in the Forfar area and will still be trading and drawing cattle to Lanark and you know there's there's a lot this isn't the crisis that it, you know it could be for you know if we lost the market overnight we've got a major issue whereas that that critical mass story I think the way we trade trade animals now the way these auction companies work is changing and has to change so you know I, I think all all the points that we made there are, are very valid, but I think the it's really important to keep in mind that we're this is a business decision for a big a big business to make sure that the the actual market company is there, and when it's there, we've got competition and critical mass across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be no difference to companies within other industries that are struggling with the rising costs. Um, just think about what the costs would have to be for a mart and the increase in those with the changes even just with electricity that would have really bumped up the price so it's probably a very sensible business decision which I'm sure they've thought long and hard about before they've gone and um, brought it up yeah yeah it, it, it's quite obvious that, that marts have moved in the last 25 years from like their traditional role uh, you know, purely serving the, the farming community. I mean, most markets now, they have uh, the weekends, they'll have their car boots and things like that. And certainly locally, we've got marts that host events and such like through the summer. Um, they've had to, I suppose, like what we say to farmers, you've got to try and think about diversifying, diversifying their income. Um, so it, it, their role has, has changed undoubtedly um, just over the last 20, 25 years. You know the mark. The mark goes, and Robert touched on it. That, that uh, it's coming out of Forfar, and that's a, you know it's a market town. So there's yeah, there's going to be other businesses affected there. Mark Day can be a big day for some of those, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's clearly clearly been a decision that uh, wasn't taken lightly. So what's your week looking like, George? Um, well, IAX has uh, slowed down quite a bit. Um, as I said, the seed drills are now going. Um, still a few folk busy calving and lambing. Um, the last thing they really want to do is come in and see me, basically. They're busy. And um, I'm sure, Robert, maybe you're the same. No, no. Uh, so we are the opposite. I've had two weeks off, so I'm into a five a day at the moment just to get through a, a bit of backlog so um it's actually you know it's we get a few the, the sun's out and we get a few call-offs and things but we, we've plenty of capacity to mm-hmm. shuffle things about but certainly the next couple of weeks for me is ajax 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 yeah yeah it's quite it's healthy for you, you getting a five a day 
definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to hear that you've got people chomping at the bit trying to come in. One of the things is people had been putting land maintenance forms in. Um, now that we're past the 16th of April, any land maintenance forms which are submitted won't be dealt with after the May deadline, which I think is great because it just gives everybody a chance to get their SAF completed and with no changes to field numbers and boundaries in that period. But just make sure you take into account what changes you are submitting so you can put that on your IAX form accordingly. I think, Tiffany, it's worth saying about the process this year. You know, IAX is going really well. The system's working. The farmers are really into the way of it now. We're getting really used to it. And computer systems working, there's not really that many major dramas. Life's good. No, it's it's been great this year. And I feel as well, everyone's being able to do them quicker because everyone knows what's expected of them. So you can get people in and out much quicker, which will help your five a day. Yeah, hopefully. Good to see you both. We'll see you again next time. Yeah, bye. Good to see you. Catch you later. Nikki Yoxall, Head of Research at Pasture for Life, PhD student at CCRI and an unconventional farmer, joins me to tell us what's on her desk. On my desk at the moment, I have three piles of work because as well as being head of research for Pasture for Life, I'm also a farmer and a PhD student. So um, for my Pasture for Life role, I'm currently um, wrapping up on a couple of projects that finished at the end of March and planning um, and preparing for some future projects that we've got running in Scotland around agroecological knowledge exchange. Uh, and I also have a number of other uh, research projects that I'm working on across Europe. So the Pathways Project and the Relivestock Project, both of which are looking at sustainable and resilient livestock um, across Europe. Um, in my farmer pile, I'm just currently dealing with some beef orders. So we sell direct uh, to customers across Aberdeenshire. Um, so just finishing up getting some beef orders sorted for delivery this week. And then in my PhD pile, I have got all of my fieldwork planning happening because I'm doing my first round of farmer interviews next week, where I'm going to be talking to farmers um, predominantly in England and Wales about how connection with nature informs their decision making. The Pasture for Life projects that um, have been happening over the last year, um, the key one that I've been working on has been a knowledge transfer innovation funded uh, programme um, with other organisations in Scotland, uh, coordinated by Nourish Scotland, but alongside the Soil Association, Land Workers Alliance and, uh, and a few other organisations, including Nature Friendly Farming Network. And we've been um, running the second year of uh, agroecological transition programs where we've created different groups um, across Scotland that are interested in different types of farming and crofting and growing. I've predominantly been running the grazing group. So in the first year, I was involved in delivering some training for um, women interested in regenerative grazing approaches. And we ran a number of different farm walks and events. And then in the last year, we've been predominantly focusing on uh, northeast um, Scottish farmers um, looking at how they can reduce their costs for 
uh, livestock production, predominantly beef, thinking about outwintering approaches um, and changes to the system to reduce inputs. And we're hoping that we get funding to run a third year, which is very exciting. Um, and I will be continuing working uh, with my colleague, Clem Sanderson at Pasture for Life on the grazing group. Um, so expanding that group to deliver more farm walks, more training, more events. And we're really interested in this year to look at the financial implications of system changes and whether we can help farmers to reduce their costs and how we can maintain productivity whilst reducing inputs and reducing costs um, to help us shift to more sustainable farm systems, particularly as we know that there are going to be changes to subsidy coming in the next few years. It's on the horizon. So how can we best prepare for that? Um, the work that I've been doing with the Pathways Project uh, is really interesting. And we've been working with researchers from across Europe to explore different scenarios for livestock in 2050. So what is what are our livestock systems going to look like in 2050? Are they going to be, um, are we going to be stockless? Will there be no livestock in Europe? I don't think that's very likely, but it is one scenario that, that is being explored. Um, and I think that there were real risks around you know, implications for biodiversity and human health if we went down this stockless route. So we're also looking at other alternatives such as very intensive systems, um, systems where we develop the idea of a rural renaissance where there's much more local production, shorter supply chains, value is added to products at the point of and, and the location of production as opposed to being shipped all over the place. And we've been looking at various other different um, scenarios that kind of fit in between those that might give us an indication of what could livestock production look like in 30 years time and what does that mean not only for human health but also the economy and greenhouse gas emissions and a whole range of holistic measures and then the re-livestock program is very similar but we're look, looking more on farm measures so thinking about the types of um, swords that we might be growing whether that's multi-species sward the use of herbal lays for grazing the integration of livestock into arable systems um, so that they actually serve a purpose in the same fields as crops are grown to see if we can increase resilience both for our um, arable but also livestock systems by reducing again the need for additional inputs. So some really timely and useful research projects that Pasture for Life are involved in offering that kind of lens I suppose for the for the low input pastured farmer into those research projects and giving a voice to farmers within the world of research where often farmers kind of are seen as recipients of the knowledge when it's finally formed but not necessarily integrated into the um to the development of those projects so yeah it's exciting time for us to be involved in these in these opportunities I live in um, in Aberdeenshire now, but I didn't grow up here, and you can probably tell that from my accent. Um, I'm originally from Shropshire, uh, which is just on the England-Wales border, and I spent a lot of my childhood actually in in North Wales. Um, so yeah, I grew up grew up down in England, um, and then uh, moved right down to the very south coast, um, probably about 15 years ago, uh, when I, I met my now husband. Um, and we were living in uh, Hampshire and then West Sussex. And it was in West Sussex where I became head of department at a land-based college. Um, and one of the areas I was in charge of was agriculture. Um, and I came into land-based from an equine route. Um, but it was actually in that role that I 
realized that I had a, a deep love and connection with the farm uh, and with with agriculture as a as an industry as a sector um, and so yeah that's where I kind of got bitten if you like by the bug and um, with the support of a fantastic farm manager really started to develop my knowledge and understanding of of livestock um, and then when we moved to Scotland five years ago uh, I had the opportunity to um, to start our own small herd, affectionately known as the Wee Mob. Um, and we have grown a grazier business from having just two heifers at home um, to having a range of different cattle on different sites, working with different landowners to help them to achieve their uh, ecological outcomes that they're, they're aiming for. So, uh, for example, we have cattle working with a rewilding company called Highlands Rewilding, um, helping them to achieve um, increased biodiversity in field, uh, also helping them to um, undertake conservation grazing on species rich grassland and also with other landowners locally as well, helping them to manage um, some of their farm and uh, obviously an output of that is beef. So we produce 100% pasture and tree fed beef um, because we do quite a lot of woodland grazing. Um, and so, yeah, that's where our kind of the farming aspect um, comes in. And um, we also do a bit of contract grazing. So we do sort of uh, grass based bed and breakfast, if you like, for other people's cattle as well. My PhD focuses on nature connection uh, for farmers and how that has an impact on their decision making. Um, and I'm really interested in that because I've been exploring the agroecological transition. So this shift to regenerative or agroecological farming for quite a few years now, um, both through my work, as I've already talked about, but also through my master's. Um, my dissertation was looking at um, the Soil Association ambassadors in Scotland and how they demonstrated that transition to agroecology um, and so in my PhD I'm looking at the same thing but what I was really interested in is this kind of framework for transition um, that was originally developed by um, Donella Meadows and she uh, her work was then kind of picked up by other researchers and they basically suggested that there are these three um, key levers for transformation of our food and farming systems and one of them is restructuring our our governance and our policy. The second is about rethinking the way we learn. So moving towards more peer-to-peer -peer learning opportunities and informal um, sort of cluster approaches to learning. And then the third one is reconnecting with nature. And I think quite often farmers um, talk about working outside and working in nature and, and often have really good um, knowledge of their particular farm biodiversity but there are definitely gaps in that um, and I would say that a number of the farmers that I work with through projects in Scotland have been able to identify gaps in their knowledge particularly around things like uh, bird identification or, or plant species identification and when they start to recognize and learn some of these a bit more their farming decisions change as a result and they start farming in a slightly different way to create more space for these different species in field as opposed to kind of uh, relegating nature to the hedges and edges. And I found this really fascinating. So through um, bringing all of this work together, my work with farmers, um, my academic research that I've been undertaking for the last few years, I realized that there's definitely um, something in this idea of reconnecting with nature. And so I really want to understand 
how farmers perceive their connection with nature and what role it plays when they are making very simple decisions on their farm, like where am I going to graze my animals this at this time of year or how am I going to grow this particular crop? Um, and I think that what's, yeah, what's really fascinating is that farmers are often perceived as only doing things for nature if there's money involved. But we know from talking to farmers all the time that there's this kind of deeper connection. And there's lots of research that says, you know, it's not just money. There are other things. But this particular aspect of nature connectedness hasn't really been explored in detail um, in a UK context. And that's something that I'm, I'm really excited to kind of really dig into this year as I crack on with my field work. When I'm not uh, working, um, I spend quite a lot of time just enjoying this beautiful corner of Aberdeenshire where we live right on the River Deverin. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I also really enjoy listening to music and I'm an avid reader. Um, I love reading um, and I really love reading novels. I think it's a really great way um, to kind of get a bit of escapism and and uh, disappear into a different world for a bit. So yeah, a lot of reading um, and and listening to music. I'm not sure that there's much my colleagues uh, don't know about me. I'm uh, pretty much an open book, um, but I do have a bit of a penchant for country music, but also hip hop. Um, and so yeah, do listen to a fair bit of that, which might surprise some of my colleagues. There's um, a lot on my desk, obviously, at the moment, but something that I would uh, really love if folk are listening that they think about joining Pasture for Life. And um, we're a membership organization that is farmer led. Um, so they can visit the Pasture for Life website um, and click uh, the membership button and that will take them to membership options. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to have more people, particularly in Scotland, joining Pasture for Life um, so that they can come along to our farm walks and events and training that we put on. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Rural Roundup. Subscribe to the channel to make sure you never miss an episode and we'll see you back here on the 10th of May for our next fortnightly episode. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.